So we're going to do something a little differently right now. <laughs> Melanie has no idea what I'm about to do, so she's looking really nervous right now. Uh, I'm reminded of my, my daughter loves watching a combination of Frozen and Finding Nemo right now. And so I'm reminded of Crush the Turtle from Finding Nemo, which don't worry, it's not super relevant. But when they're getting ready to exit the East Australian current, and he says, find your exit buddy, right? I need you to find an exit buddy. Everybody needs at least one or two partners. You can form little groups if you want to, but it's easier if there's two of you. So ready, go. You can form three if you want, if that makes it easier. And if you can't find one, that's fine. I'm just... Okay, so here's, here's what we're going to do. And if you, you can think about this in your head. If for whatever reason you don't have a group, that's fine. But what you have is you have 45 seconds to answer a complete stranger when they say, oh, you go to church? What is that all about anyway? Ready, go. One of you just pick who goes first. It's better to go first. And time. I think I missed something, but that's okay. You can tell me about it later. Okay, so if you're still talking, you're, you're done, the person's off the elevator, you're moving on. It's, they, they're, they're done listening. Okay, so now you need to stay with that person. Melanie, that's okay. So we're going to do that again. Except this time you have to explain Christianity without using the words sin or evil. You have 45 seconds, ready, go. Can't be the same person twice, now it has to be somebody new. And done. Melanie, that means you. So of those two, which one was easier, the first one or the second one? The second one was easier for some of you, okay. Is anyone, was the first one easier for anyone? Okay, so it's about a 50-50 split. Just curious. So, we get kind of nervous, right? Like when I told you all to find a partner, we're like practicing things and now you have to explain things to people. Especially those of you who are sitting near people you didn't know. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's kind of intimidating, <laughs> right? And yet, you know, it's one of these things where there, there's this thing that they, in business they call it your elevator speech, right? The idea that if the opportunity comes up and you have 30 to 45 seconds to explain to you, someone what your business pitch is or why you are good at your job or what your next thing that you're hoping to get to do is, you need to have a practiced 30 to 45 second time window where you can say, well, I'm Kevin Eccles and this is what I'm really excited about and this is what I'm passionate about and this is what I hope happens in the next six months. And if you've got that down and the opportunity comes up, you're gonna be really glad you practiced it because maybe it gets you that promotion or maybe you get to work on a project you would have otherwise missed out on. Or maybe it's just about trying to convince your kid that, no, let me give you a 30 to 45 second talk on why broccoli is not the worst thing God ever created. You know, but the idea is that you take these bite-sized pieces of information, right? If you can't explain it in less than a minute, can you really explain it? Right? 
You know, I, I have this conversation with a bunch of pastors on a very regular basis. I tell people I shoot for like 16 minutes or less for my sermons. Occasionally they go over when I get all excited about something, but usually it's 16 minutes or less. And people look at me and like, how in the world do you get it done in 16 minutes or less? And I'm thinking in my head, how in the world can you say nothing but worthwhile, valuable things for 45 minutes? Like, the easy part is filling time. I could sit here and I could talk for a couple hours. You all would shut off after about 16 minutes, because that's what I've sort of trained you to do. Right? The hard part is being able to take everything you know and everything you've experienced and boil it down and edit it. And get it to the point where somehow you can explain to someone in 30 to 45 seconds that the God of the universe loves them. And then you go to church because getting to be with other people who knows how much God loves them is one of the best things you do all week. I didn't even take 45. That was like eight. You know, like, but that's what we're going for, right? If the opportunity comes up, you want to be able to help someone understand that God loves them. So we have this, this whole thing where if you go through and you start looking for books on evangelism or proselytizing or sharing the good news, like there's tons of books that got written on this, particularly in the 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, right? Um, for some reason, evangelism was a huge deal in those decades. And so you've got this, this thing you've got going on where there was kind of this pattern, this kind of rhythm for you could start with a ground basis, kind of everyone is on the same page. And you can go from there and talk to them about God. So the conversation pattern in in those decades anyway went, well, you know, we're all evil and sinful people. We've all messed up. And then we all need to find a way to be better. And we've usually failed at that. And so God is the way to be better. Yay, now come to church. Right? Like that's that's just kind of how it went. Right? Because everybody kind of was on the same page. We all agreed on most things. And it just kind of worked out. But the problem is, if you try and take that method of evangelism and use it today, the conversation goes more like, well, you know how we're all evil and sinful. No, no, really, I didn't mean to insult you. That's not supposed to be a bad thing. Well, okay, but, but everybody is sinful. Well, well, I mean, not me. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I've been forgiven. God's made me better. No, wait, I didn't mean better to you. Come back. You know? Like, people just, the idea that coming up to someone and saying, hey, look, There's something wrong with you. (laughs) This is good news, I promise. It just doesn't work so much anymore. That's why you all laughed. You can imagine how that goes. So the ways we've trained ourselves to share about this good news of a loving God end up being kind of insulting. Because culture has changed. We have changed. The way we think about our relationship with God, it's changed, even if God hasn't. And so we need a better way. And I think this is why the things have changed. This is why the old way just doesn't seem to work anymore. Society today, we've gotten really comfortable with the idea of misanthropy. Misanthropy, misanthropy. Melanie said what? Um, It's this idea that we agree on average that the average human is an awful person. Right? I mean, you turn on the news, and the average person seems to be kind of terrible. Because we don't see news about things that happen that are good. 
because that doesn't sell ad space. We don't see news about people being genuinely nice to one another because that doesn't get that adrenal gland in the back of your head firing and it doesn't make you want to click the article online. And so they don't report those stories. So we are bombarded every day with stories about how awful people are. And whether you realize it or not, you start to believe it. You start to think that, yeah, we are all really that awful. There are really no good people left. It is worse now than it ever has been in the history of humanity. And so now we we have this issue, though, where we have all these marketers who are trying to sell us things. We have politicians who are trying to buy our votes. We have all of these things going on, and the generally power-hungry people of society have made a commodity out of your anger and fear. They want to make you afraid. They want to blame the other guy so that your only hope is to give them more power and authority over you. Whether it's through your vote, or your wallet, or just by reblogging their stuff on Facebook. So what we do, though, is that when we try and engage in that same kind of behavior, and we go to someone who is not yet believed, and we say, hey, there's this thing you call the hell and evil and damnation you should be really afraid of. They go, wait, you're fear-mongering just like that other guy, and he's a jerk. I bet you're a jerk, too. Or when you try and say, well, we as Christians, we are the good guys, and we want everyone to be safe. And you see those guys over there, they're working for something that's bad and is going to hurt you in the long run. So you should become like us and do the things that we do. That is the exact same pitch that you hear from every politician ever. It's us versus them, and we're better than them, so join us. And so those pitches, those ways that we try and share a genuinely good piece of news about God just end up making people run away scared because we seem just like the problem. And often we are. And so that's awful. How do we evangelize? How do we share good news if every attempt we have, every tool in our toolbox just pushes people away because it makes us seem like we're awful? You don't start by telling them about the problem. We already believe the problem. We see it on the news every night. The world's a broken place. We don't need to convince people that stuff's broken. What they don't believe and what they don't know and they don't realize is that there's a God who loves them and loves the world around them so much that he's trying to fix it. And if you want to, you can help him fix it. It's hope. That's what we don't get on the news. That's what we don't get in political ads. We don't get that from Walmart. Because Walmart just wants your money. They don't want to give you hope. They want your cash. Right? And so what you don't hear 
is hope. And so if you walk up to someone and you genuinely have a hope that the world can and will be a better place because of a good God that is active in the world today, people are going to go, wait, well, hold on. That's not the same thing I've been hearing everywhere else. Maybe I should listen. Because hope is something I need more of. There's a reason, I think, that Paul, speaking in what was a decadent Holy Roman Empire, spoke of this hope that you have. He didn't speak of belief. He didn't speak of religion. He didn't speak of, well, it's a good thing you go to synagogue every Saturday, just like the good ones. He said, be careful to hold on to this hope that you have, this hope that you've been given. Because when you're in the middle of a society that thinks that everything is broken, the hope is what sets you apart. And so if you go to pitch going to church with someone and it starts with, well, I know you're screwed up, so maybe this will (laughs) help. I mean, come on now. If your pitch for a loving God starts with, well, I know we all suck, but (laughs) come on now, we can do better than that. We can go to someone and say, you know, I know you're in pain. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save it. John 3, 17, the very next verse. God didn't come to experience what we do, do it better, and then point the finger back and say, I did it just fine, what's your problem? He came to experience everything that we had, to redeem everything he experienced, and not to condemn, but to redeem and to save to make better. He's a doctor who came and he spent time with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors because the healthy people don't need the sick. The guys who hang out in synagogue all day, they've got the scriptures. They should know what's going on. One of them came to talk to Jesus. He gave a decent answer. It's like, hey, you're not far from the kingdom of God. I'm going to go talk to the people who are. Because it's not the healthy who need a sick. And you seem kind of healthy to me. I'm going to go that way. And so when we hang out with people who don't have hope, we can bring them hope. We can bring them the truth of a God who is unwilling to leave things broken. Scripture is not the story of a wrathful God who is gladly and gleefully separating people into heaven and hell. Scripture directly speaks against that and says God is unwilling that any should perish, but he is slow in keeping his promise so that all may see eternal life. And so if we ever find ourselves separating people between the good and the bad, you're doing it wrong. If you ever find yourself saying, well, at least I'm one of the good guys, (laughs) you're doing it wrong. If you find yourself consoling yourself, well, at least I'm in church on every Sunday, you're probably doing it wrong. I'd be thrilled if some of you skipped church on Sunday to go to a bar and tell people about hope. Because that's what we do. We are the people of God. We are the persons of Jesus Christ walking around with individual skin on. We are supposed to be his image walking around and showing people what he talked about. And Jesus spent a lot of time at parties. His first miracle was creating 150 gallons of really good wine.
think Jesus is a lot less afraid of getting his hands messy than we are. Because Jesus was more interested in bringing hope than he was keeping his hands clean. And so if we had to think to ourselves, how many times, say in the last three months, have we had a conversation with someone where we said something about how much God loves them, or what the hope that we have is, and how much we hope for better things for the future because of our faith in God. Or we know that God loves us even though sometimes life hurts. If you had to count those conversations the last three months, would you run out of fingers and toes? I hope so. Otherwise we're probably doing it wrong. Because your elevator talk your 30 to 45 seconds. It's just sharing hope. I go to church because when I leave church, I'm more hopeful about the future than when I walked in because I believe that God is good and God is powerful. I don't hurt any less. None of my problems are particularly solved just because I walked in on Sunday morning, but it helps me believe that God is good because I'm surrounded by people who believe that God is good. That's why I go to church. The reason we need God to redeem us is because you've seen what happens when you try and do things on your own. It doesn't work out too well. I want to be better. I want to grow. I want to be more like God. I want to do the right thing. And so I put my faith in God because God says he'd help me do that. I'm going to love my neighbor the way I love myself. I'm going to love God with everything I've got. That's why I'm a Christian. doesn't take much. It just takes being willing to maybe look a little silly. Maybe letting people look at you funny. You want to have people look at you sideways, tell them you have a chemistry degree, reverend in front of your name, and you're working in call center, lazy boy. Talk about some interesting lunch conversations over the last couple weeks. It's been fun, actually. You just got to let go of your sense of pride and like, I have to be respectable. And you have to care more about sharing hope with someone who probably needs to hear it. Because that's more important. 